We'll now turn to God's holy word. We'll turn to Paul's second letter to the Corinthians. We'll begin our reading in a little different order. We'll begin our reading in chapter 11. We'll read together the first four verses of chapter 11 of 2 Corinthians. Corinthians 11, beginning verse 1, here we read God's holy word. Paul writes to the Corinthians, Oh, that you would bear with me in a little folly. And indeed, you do bear with me. For I am jealous for you with godly jealousy. For I betroth you to one husband, that I, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear, lest somehow, as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he who comes preaches another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or if you receive a different spirit, which you have not received, or a different gospel, which you have not accepted, you may well put up with it. So far, reading from chapter 11. Let's turn now back to chapter 3. We're going to read in verse 7. And our text this morning will be the first four verses of chapter, of, of chapter 4. First six verses of chapter 4. So chapter 3, verse 7, but if the ministry of death written and engraved on stones was glorious so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away, how will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? For if the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. Even what was made glorious had no glory in this respect because of the glory that excels. For if what is passing away was glorious, what remains is much more glorious. Since, therefore, since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech. Unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away. But their minds were blinded. For unto this day, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament because the veil is taken away in Christ. But even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all with unfailed face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. And then begins our text. Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness or handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But even if our gospel is veiled, 
It is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, and who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So far, reading from God's holy word. Brothers, sisters of our Lord and Jesus Christ, there are a time in your life when you feel like you lose, lose heart, times that you feel totally, completely discouraged. Are there times when you feel that nothing is going right in your life, and all you do is you anticipate bad things are going to keep happening? And you kind of feel nothing good is ever going to happen again. Perhaps as a Christian, you have been praying for things to change. You're pleading with God, God, please change this in my life. But, but nothing changes. Maybe you're looking for an apartment. I know in Brampton it's almost impossible. And we have people in our congregation who are looking for places to live. And it becomes very, very difficult. And they've been praying, Lord, provide. Or perhaps you've been looking for a job, or a job that, that really interests you. But nothing ever seems to, to work out. Maybe you lose heart when medical treatments do not have the desired results. You're not being healed, but the pain, the pain only continues. Perhaps you're in a marriage relationship that is going badly and never seems to get better. As Christians, perhaps you lose heart when you see what is happening in the world all, all around you. It just seems as if the world is going mad, moving from one perversion uh, to another, as even worse than the one before it. And so we can become discouraged, even as Christians, in the midst of this secular and corrupt world. What does Paul say? Paul says, we do not lose heart. We do not lose heart. It also suggests that for Paul himself, there were difficult things that he had to deal with. Throughout his ministry, he was constantly opposed and harassed for the very sake of the gospel. Everywhere he went, he was being ridiculed for his message. He was brought before judges, thrown into prison. He's beaten, even stoned for the very sake of his Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, that perhaps you could understand from Paul's perspective as one who's bringing the gospel. But then there are even members of the church, even his own brothers and sisters who refuse to listen to him. And instead, who go and they listen to false teachers and false preachers. Paul himself has been accused 
by fellow believers of deceitfulness, of not caring about them, accused of seeking only for his own good, and that he's looking to get rich on account of the, on account of the gospel. So you see, Paul is a man who had no end to disappointments. Wherever he goes and he proclaims the gospel, people are opposing him. And so humanly speaking, the question is, does it make any sense for Paul to go on with this ministry when it seems that there is other ways he'd go that he didn't need to suffer? It would be so easy for Paul to live an easy life in which all the suffering and the pain would go away. And yet Paul says this, he says, we, we meaning your fellow apostles, fellow workers of the gospel, we do not lose heart. Nothing will stop us. Not the pain, not the disappointments, not the hardships. Well, why can Paul say none of those things will stop us? Is Paul such a strong man? Is he a man that we must all aspire to? Not at all. Paul himself was not strong. In fact, he says, he says, we have this ministry through God's mercy. And he goes on and he explains that he has seen the glory of God in Christ Jesus. And he explains that when you see the glory of God through the gospel, then you realize that God's glory is greater than all the suffering and all the disappointments of this life. You see, beloved, our pain and our suffering cannot be compared to the glory that we now see in our Lord Jesus Christ. And so this morning, we'll listen to God's word under this theme. The gospel ministry shines into our heart the glory of God in Christ Jesus. So our theme, the gospel ministry shines into our heart the glory of God in Christ Jesus. And that theme, we'll look at three things. First of all, do not lose heart in proclaiming the gospel. Secondly, the gospel is closed to those who are perishing. And thirdly, we'll look at our encouragement and that is that God lets the light shine in the darkness. Paul has been dealing with opposition here in the church in Corinth. Already in the first letter that he, he wrote, he had to admonish the believers. Because there was division within the church. People were following different leaders and there was this competition between these different parties within the church. What had happened is that they had elevated the teachings of these different leaders above even that of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Paul, in his first letter, writes, he says, there should be no division within the church. There should be no competition between different leaders as if each leader is trying to get a different following. No, he says, we, must, we all must follow the Lord Jesus Christ. That means leaders in the church must never put themselves above others. But we're always called to submit ourselves to the Lord Jesus. That's why Paul then also says, it is through God's mercy that we have this ministry. I'm not a minister of, of the gospel because I am better than other people. Or because somehow I'm more deserving than others. No, I only have this ministry because God is merciful to me, a sinner. You know, Paul, Paul understands this perhaps better than anyone else about their office. Why? Because Christ is the one who came to him at a time when he was a persecutor of the church. Christ came to him at a time when he was worthy of Christ's eternal condemnation. 
And yet what does the Lord Jesus do? The Lord Jesus comes to him and he calls Paul. Paul, I call you to be a servant that you may go out and that you may proclaim the gospel message to the world. The word therefore at the beginning of the text connects these words to what Paul has just written earlier in chapter 3 about the very glory of God. You see, in the Old Testament, uh, when Moses would go to speak with God in the tent of, of meeting, when he returned from the tent of meeting, his face would reflect uh, the, the glory of God. And the people saw that glory of God reflecting from his face. They were afraid. And they pleaded with Moses that he might cover his face with a veil. But now Paul says, Paul says, but whenever anyone turns to the Lord Jesus, that veil is removed, it is taken away. What he's saying, beloved, is that today, through the very gospel message that's being proclaimed that with unveiled faces, we are able to contemplate, we're able to see the Lord's glory as we ourselves are being transformed into Christ's image with ever-increasing glory. So you need to understand what Paul's ministry is. Paul says, my ministry is to proclaim the gospel message. And this message is a message that reveals the glory of Christ as our Savior. The very reason, Paul says, why, and the very reason why Paul is able to say we do not lose heart in the face of opposition and the many hardships that he suffers. Because if you see the very glory of Christ, then in his glory, there, beloved, there we have everything that we need that we can continue on in our faith. The hardships, the troubles that you may be facing in your life, they'll begin to fade from memory when you begin to behold the glory of Christ. Right? It is the glory of Christ that comes and that now captures your attention. And when the glory of Christ captures your attention every day of your life, then you no longer dwell on the the troubles and on the misery in, in your life. Yes, they're still there, they're still painful. But it isn't where your whole focus is. Your focus now is on the glory of Christ. Paul tells us how this impacts the way he carries out his own ministry in verse 2. He says, we renounce secret, unhanded, and shameful, disgraceful ways. We do not use deception. We do not distort the word of God. On the contrary, he says, we set forth the truth plainly. You know, using secret or better underhanded means to bring the gospel message is not worthy, Paul says, of the very glory of Christ. The idea he conveys is that of, perhaps you can compare it to a fisherman. Perhaps if any of you have gone fishing, um, you don't just put a hook in the, in the water, do you? No, you, first of all, you, you put some bait on the hook before you put the bait or hook in the, in, in the water. Because you know without the bait, you're not going to catch a fish. Why do you put the bait on there? Well, the fish, well, the bait draws the fish in. And then the fish doesn't even realize that the bait is going to ensnare it. So Paul has in mind here these false preachers and teachers who use deceptive ways to, uh, to ensnare people for themselves. Paul illustrates that when he, when he writes in chapter 11, verse 3, which we read earlier, verse, verse 3 and following, we there he speaks about false apostles and false ministers of the, of the gospel. And he says in verse 3 of chapter 11, he says, I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, 
your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. And then in verse 4, he speaks about some of those deceptive ways when he writes about preachers, preachers who preach a Jesus other than the Jesus that we preached, or who preach a different gospel from the one that you accepted. You may wonder, well, why do false preachers even bother preaching? Why do they, why do they preach a Jesus who's different from the Jesus that is found in, in the gospel? And there are many different reasons. Some may preach Jesus that they think people want to have, the kind of Jesus that they want to follow, the kind of Jesus uh, that people might not find offensive, the kind of Jesus who accepts everything and anything, even perverseness and wickedness. Others preach the Jesus that they think is going to bring them a, a bigger following. To today, I know in Brampton, uh, probably the majority of uh, preachers in the city are what we call prosperity preachers. Prosperity preachers promise that when you come to Jesus, He will take away all your problems and He will make you, you rich and all your suffering, your pain will be taken away. And there are others, others who use Jesus to become rich for themselves at the expense of others. Remember what Paul says, what the devil did with Eve? In chapter 11, he says he distorted, the devil distorted the word of God. And, and he said, God doesn't want you to eat of the fruit that he said you should not eat. Why? Because he doesn't want you to become like him. What does Satan do? Satan comes and he twists the truth for his own gain and for his own glory and for his own following. Well, Paul says, Paul says I did not use the ways of false preach, preachers and teachers. I did not use a, a bait and switch strategy to, to snare you. But I was completely honest. And I was open with you about the gospel message. I plainly set out the message about the Lord and Jesus. I came and I spoke to you about the glory of Christ. Not a glory of Christ in which Jesus was this great big man, this great hero, this man who came and sat on a, a great throne and began to rule over this world from that throne. No, I, I spoke to you about, about the glory of the Lord Jesus that is revealed through His suffering. A glory that is revealed through his death on the cross. And a glory that is now displayed for you and for us all in his great resurrection. You see, beloved, Paul never misrepresented who Jesus was. But he plainly spoke about his glorious work of salvation for sinners. Paul ends, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. Paul, what he's doing here, Paul is pleading to the conscience of the believers here in Corinth. For he says, you can testify that I, Paul, that I have spoken the truth about Christ, and I have spoken that truth plainly and openly with you. And he says, I have done so in the sight of God. God can testify indeed that I have faithfully, I have truthfully proclaimed the gospel message of salvation in Jesus Christ. For it is in Christ's saving work that the glory of Christ has been clearly revealed in my preaching and my teaching unto you. Now that leads to another question. 
if Paul is indeed preaching the glory of Christ, then why is his message not being accepted by everyone who hears it? Is it maybe because the message is being veiled so that it cannot be clearly seen by people? Notice what Paul says in verse 3. He says, even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. And when Paul argues, he says, even if our gospel is veiled, he does not mean that somehow he is admitting that I'm hiding the real message when I preach the gospel. That's not what he says. No, Paul, when he comes, he preaches the, the clear gospel message. There's nothing hidden about Jesus Christ, nothing hidden about who Jesus is, and nothing hidden about also uh, the troubles in Christ's own life, uh, how he has redeemed his people. Nothing is obscured about what he has done, what, what the Lord Jesus has done for us. No, Paul says, the message that I came to proclaim to you, I proclaimed it clearly for everyone to see and everyone to understand. Yet the reality is that not everyone sees the Lord Jesus as their Savior and accepts that message. Not everyone really understands what Jesus has come to do. It's if, it is as if many in this world have a veil over their faces that prevents them from being able to see the glory of Jesus Christ. And who are those? Who are those who have a veil over their eyes? Paul says it is those who are perishing. Those who are walking on the path that leads to hell. You know, chapter 3.16, Paul wrote this. He says, whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. In other words, what he says is, there is a veil that covers the hearts and the minds of all people so that no one can see the glory of Christ because of that veil. And so in order to see the glory of Christ as your Savior, that veil must be taken away from in front of your face. And notice what he says in chapter 3.16. He does not say that we must take away that veil. No, he says the veil is taken away. That means it is taken away. By who? It is taken away by the Holy Spirit who comes and opens our eyes that we may behold and see the very glory of Christ. And so the veil is not a result of Paul's preaching the gospel in an obscure kind of way. Perhaps you may remember that during the, the life of the Lord Jesus Christ, how often didn't the Lord Jesus tell the people after he healed them, he would say to them, tell no one else. Or to his disciples, after he had given them certain instructions, he would say, don't tell anybody else about this. Right? During the, his life here on earth, Christ did hide his glory from the people. Why? Because he still needed to suffer. He still needed uh, to, uh, to, to die on the cross. Therefore, he was not yet ready to openly reveal himself in all his glory as the Savior of Israel. But after his resurrection, what does Christ do? Christ goes and he sends his apostles, his disciples, to go and proclaim his name openly and plainly as the Savior of the world. The glory of Christ, beloved, is no longer obscured. But the light of Christ must be placed on the hilltops for everyone to see. But not everyone sees the light of Christ's glory. While the glory of Christ is no longer veiled, yet the eyes of all those who are perishing, their eyes are veiled. 
And you can ask, so why? Why is that? Why can those who are perishing, why can they not see the very glory of Christ? Now Paul answers that in verse 4 when he says, The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ who is the image of God. He says the God of this age is, is the culprit in many ways. The God of this age is Satan. Now some of commentators have twisted Paul's words here to mean that Paul is saying that there are two gods here in this world, but that's not what Paul is saying. Paul recognized there's only one God. One God is the creator of heaven and earth, but here in this creation, there is a man, or there is a, there is a, a devil, Satan, who claims to be the God, or who claims to be the ruler of all mankind, and, and many have followed him. And Satan, Satan stands in opposition to the Almighty God. What is Satan doing? He's working to destroy all the works that God is doing here in this world. And so by speaking about Satan as the God of this age, you notice it is this age, which means the age in which we are living, and there's an age that is coming when Satan will not be God of, this, of, that, of that age. Paul reminds us that Satan indeed in this age still has great power. And he will use that power to blind the minds of unbelievers. And he does so by placing a veil over their eyes so that they cannot see the light of the gospel. So the gospel message that Paul preaches plainly is a great light that shines forth into the world. But the devil, Satan, is hard at work blinding the minds of the unbelievers who are perishing. And we see it today. You see it today, beloved, also in our culture. When there are so many in our society who are blind to the gospel message, who turn in their backs uh, to the Lord God. You may wonder how. How does Satan blind the minds of mankind? Well, beloved, he uses the same tactic he did in the very beginning with Eve. He gets mankind to believe the lie. Just the lie. Satan will ask the question, so who are the evil people in this world? Who are the hate mongers? Who are the bigots here in this world? And his reply is, they are the Christian believers. Because Christian believers are the ones who would tell you that what you're doing is sinful. They'll tell you that you're going to go to hell if you do not change your lives. Christians are being portrayed by the devil and those who follow him as bad people, terrible people, people who want to make your life hard and, and difficult, people who hate you. They're the people who want to stop you from having an abortion, stop you from doing what you want to be your own God. They want to stop you from accepting that you can have a different gender from the one with which you were born. How terrible that they would stop you from choosing your own gender. They're the ones who tell you that you should not get divorced, but that you should remain faithful in, in marriage. How silly uh, to, to think that that is the norm for our lives when, when we know that that just isn't possible. Or they will tell you that children, they, uh, Christians will tell you that children should have a father and a mother. Well, how, how terrible that is when you, a child can have two fathers or two mothers. Right, Christians, 
They stand up against everything that, that, that you believe in. And there are terrible people who make you want to feel guilty, bad about yourself. Beloved, I think perhaps you can begin to see how the forces of evil are busy today also twisting the very truth of the gospel. And so that mankind accepts the lie for the gospel truth and the gospel truth as the lie. Well, beloved, what is true today was already true way back in the days of the Apostle Paul. The gospel is not rejected because the truth is hidden from people. But it is rejected because, it forced, because the forces of evil have blinded people to the very glory of Christ as revealed to us in the gospel. And so if that is indeed the case, then, then the next question is, so does that mean that it is useless for us to go and to witness to the glory of Christ in this world? Should we then lose heart in preaching the gospel when we see the evil that's all around us? Is it a lost cause because the, power, because the devil is so powerful? And Paul's answer is what? Paul's answer is we do not lose heart. We do not lose heart. In verses 4 and 5, he gives us the encouragement to be faithful in proclaiming the gospel truth. When he says, for what we preach is not ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord and ourselves as servants for Jesus' sake. Beloved, we need to have a proper self-awareness about who, who we really are. Does a preacher, does a preacher think that his ministry is about himself, about his own popularity? Or do we think as believers, do we think that when we tell others about Christ, that we somehow, it's always about ourselves? And that we sometimes think that we have reason to boast about the kind of people that we are because we're better than you are because you're unbelievers and no, we are Christians. When we speak about Christ, beloved, it's never about us. It's never about how can I get glory out of what I'm doing. How can I make myself a better person? How can I make myself look better? Paul says what we preach is not ourselves. Any preacher, any Christian who speaks in a way in which they boast about themselves, who draw attention to themselves, are guilty of placing themselves in the center. They cannot do that, beloved. Why not? Well, think about it. How can you make yourself the center of attention when your eyes are open? And there you see the glory of Christ before your very eyes. When you see the glory of Christ, then you realize, I, I have no glory. Beloved, when you see the glory of Christ, you realize you have no glory. Realize that we are sinners, and as sinners we are inglorious. Only Christ reflects glory as the perfect Savior in this world. Who must we preach or speak about? It must be Jesus Christ as Lord. Jesus is Lord, not you, not me. He is the one who came and suffered, overcame sin and death. 
It is the Lord Jesus who rose up from the dead, who ascended into heaven, who is seated at the right hand where he now reigns over all things for us from heaven. Beloved, if we have any glory at all, it's not our glory. It's only because of the glory of Christ that has been given to us. Therefore, we do not serve ourselves, but we serve Jesus Christ. And so Paul continues to write that we are your servants for Jesus' sake. You know, ministers of the gospel serve the congregation as servants of Christ. Keep this well in mind, beloved. The congregation, the church, is not lord over the minister, not lord over the elders in the church. But ministers and elders serve the congregation as servants of Christ, who is our Lord. False teachers often do what the people in the congregation want, what the people in the pew want. False preachers are ready to tickle the ears of the hearers with a message that the people like to hear. But true, godly preachers of the gospel, they come and they proclaim the glory of Christ to the congregation. Why? Why would they do that? Because that is the message they know that the congregation needs to take heart in order that they might be saved and that they might be able to give glory to Christ. Beloved, preachers of the gospel only have one task. and That task is to help God's people to see more clearly the glory of Christ Jesus as our Lord and as our Savior. It is through the faithful preaching and teaching of the gospel that the light of Christ is made to shine in the hearts of the people, to shine also in your hearts. What a glorious task the Lord gives to also preachers and teachers of the gospel. Not only that, but that gospel message, beloved, it is the power, it is the power of God to remove the veil from the eyes of those who are perishing so that they may have eternal life. Paul says in verse 6, he says, God who said, let light shine out of the darkness, made his light to shine in our hearts, to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. What's Paul saying here, beloved? Paul is saying is that the gospel message are not just mere words. They're not just words that we hear and that we kind of forget about and they go out the other ear. No, he says, the gospel message is the power of God to change you. Paul compares it to God's creating power. In the beginning, when God created the world, what did he do? He commanded, saying, let the light shine. And what happened? There was light. Remember the world in the beginning, at first the world was dark. And the light overcame the darkness. You know that without the light, the world would not be able to exist. Without light, there is no life. Without light, we cannot survive even as human beings. And as God causes the light to shine in the darkness of this world at the time of his creation, Paul says it is the same God who now makes his light to shine today here in your hearts. Two things to keep in mind here. The first is that we are to know our own limitations. You know, preachers, but also as believers in the pew, as you go out and you speak to people about the gospel, 
You can go out and we can talk to the people about the Lord Jesus Christ. But this is the reality. The reality is that we do not have the power, we do not have the ability to make them to see the light. You may be praying for loved ones. In my congregation, there are many new believers who have family members where they're constantly praying for. Praying that they might come also to see the glory of Christ. And you may have family members who have strayed away from Christ and and who have turned their back on, on the glory of Christ. And you know, you can talk to these people all you want and you can try to be as persuasive as it is possible. You may try to force them to accept the gospel. You may even manipulate, try to manipulate them with the gospel. But the reality is, beloved, that, that we are not able to penetrate the veil that blinds them to the very glory of Christ. We have that limitation. But Paul says we do not lose heart. Why? Because there is a second thing that you also need to remember, and that is with God there are no limitations. As God made the light shine in the darkness of creation long ago, it is the Lord who also makes the light to shine in our hearts today. Remember what Paul said in chapter 3.16, he says, God is the one who has removed the veil from over our eyes. Beloved, if the Lord God has done that for you in your life, then he can also do that for those who are still blind to the very glory of Christ today. And therefore, we never give up on witnessing to the very glory of Christ. We never stop praying for those whom we love. We never stop praying for those in our community around us who, who live in darkness and without hope. Why? Because the Lord God has the power, the power to make the light to shine into the hearts of those who are perishing. You know, Paul, Paul knows what he's writing about. Paul understands this uniquely because he was one of those who was perishing. Christ himself caused the great light to shine from heaven as he was on the way to Damascus to persecute the believers there. And there he reveals his glory to Paul. The glory that changes Paul's whole life. Paul saw the glory of Christ, the glory that at first blinded him. But he also recognized in that glory of Christ the very mercy of God. God gave to Paul the light of the knowledge of his glory that was displayed there in the face of Jesus Christ, his Savior. When Paul thinks about God's mercy for him, one in which God came, which Christ came and called him to this glorious ministry, he remembers that glory of Christ. Paul says, I, I will never, never lose heart. I have seen the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Beloved, the gospel message is a great shining light that also reveals to you and I, reveals to us the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul writes, he says, Whoever, whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Right? The scales that, that blind us, they, they fall away from, from our eyes. And, and there we stand. We stand enthralled at the glory of our Lord. What a blessing. What a blessing that I, a sinner, I now clearly see the glory of my Lord and of my Savior. Therefore, beloved, 
never lose heart. Do not lose heart, but rejoice always in the glory of your Lord and your Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.